0: With the word behaviour that comes to mind, one of my favourite things that I've tried to keep in mind this year is to do with how you're speaking to people and it's about message sent, message received. You have to keep in mind when speaking to students that what you say, it's not what you say that matters, it's how it's received. What is it going to be taken as at the other end?
1: At the half, we're learning from each other's stories about how we communicate.
2: What we can do better, how we can encourage authenticity, and how our relationships are affected by the various influences in our lives.
1: These influences include language, education, law, culture, faith and more.
2: We hope these stories help you reflect and have a conversation of your own.
1: David Coates is an educator and student. Currently finishing off his Masters in Secondary Education at the University of Melbourne and teaching Italian and Humanities at MacKillop Catholic College. He's a close friend of ours, we met him during our time as students of undergraduate Italian at the University of Melbourne. David has a passion for education, social justice, and the betterment of our society through the education of our youth. Today, he is here to chat about what it is about teaching that assists both young people and society more broadly to communicate better amongst ourselves and each other. David, thank you for being here today. To start off, could you tell us a bit about your own experiences with teachers when you were in high school and primary school and the way that they communicated with yourself and and with your peers? I was curious if those experiences informed your decision to be a teacher and the teaching style that you employ now.
0: So my experience uh, in education has been really quite positive from primary school to even secondary school as well. I feel like I've had a a range of really good teachers, Uh, different in style, but all good in their own ways I'd say there are some certain teachers that I might channel uh, even subconsciously when I'm teaching myself now and especially across my two different subject areas as well in humanities and Italian they're quite different uh, in the way I go about things but no, overall it's been a positive experience my education
2: that's good um, I apologize in advance because this might be a bit of a long-winded question um, and I suppose to use an example from my own high school days. I remember when we sort of had a young teacher who would be the age that we are all at now, so around twenty-three, twenty-four years old. I remember being in VCE, so you're eleven, you're twelve, so seventeen, eighteen years old, and seeing these teachers and thinking that they were so cool and relatable and close to our age, but. Seeing as we are now at the age that those teachers were yeah, yeah. when I was um in high school, I kind of look to I suppose teenagers nowadays and think, oh wow, they're so um I think their subculture and news um, culture is so different to what I know. And um, even though the age gap isn't really that big, that um they're, they're still I still feel quite a bit removed.
3: distance, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I I, I suppose I was wondering if you felt that your experiences in teaching gave you that same sense and if that was the case, do you think it's a good thing to be considered so relatable to your students?
0: That's a really interesting question. (laughs) The way I would put it is um, I I entirely get what you mean. It's it's almost like a bit of a Venn diagram because there is certainly a generational crossover. We're in Mm. a space between their age and our age where there's some parts of subculture where we might uh, be the same on. But just for a a really topical thing for youth that – uh, they're into memes. So <laughs> there are memes yeah, that, that people of our different. age, let's say, you know, 22 to 26 <laughs> or something like that um, can relate to, but they're in an entirely different world mm. in that way. Um, a practical example for me would be that Harry Potter was mm. a really popular subculture probably mm. when I was my student's age, whereas now if I refer to Harry Potter uh, subculture, to explain concepts or or use um analogies in teaching. It doesn't always come off that well. A lot of kids haven't seen or haven't seen the movies or haven't read
4: the books. Exactly. And in that it's way It's
2: only a matter of a couple of years, but yeah. it's really, I suppose, moved from their their consciousness mm-hmm. of, yeah.
0: And on whether it's positive or negative, the students certainly do um I think they do see some similarities and think, yeah, this person is more relatable. But that's not always positive in that uh, your teaching identity, you can't hang your hat forever on being a cool hip teacher. Yeah. So you have to be your own self um, that's beyond that because at a certain point you will realize that no, I'm no longer young, <laughs> hip and
3: related. <laughs> yeah. so
4: particularly if you want a teaching career beyond you know, your career. Yeah. Exactly.
3: Mm-hmm. And yeah. Do you
4: find that that's something that you brought up when you, when you began teaching because you started last year, right? So you went in with your teaching identity kind of firm and set in one way but aware that you'd be relatable. Well, it'd
0: be hard to say (laughs) it was firm and set because even though you have teaching um, placements beforehand, you're in someone else's classroom. So it's not Mm -hmm. your classroom. Whereas when you have your own classroom, it's a very steep learning curve of um, what you do want to have in place and how, I suppose, relatable or or close to students you want to be because there is obviously a professional barrier because while some students might – um, think of you as a friend you're definitely not a friend it's a professional mm. teacher-student relationship you want to be relatable enough that students are comfortable in your classroom but um it doesn't necessarily involve being a friend per se yeah, mm. yeah no, something you have yeah. to be quite conscious of as a yeah. teacher too
2: I suppose mm. on that note I went to um an all-girls school so especially a young male teacher at, oh, in yeah. that age bracket I suppose as a teacher, you, you do have to be especially conscious of um, that those barriers and that power dynamic and that relationship, because when you are a young girl at that age, it, it can be very, very sort of easy to fall into that trap of they're so relatable that they mm-hmm. could, you know, be a friend or whatever else that would be quite inappropriate. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's yeah very. Um, yeah, important to keep that in
4: mind. Mm. Mm. And even yeah, with my own experience, like went to an all boys school. I remember <laughs> when I was in year eight and we had this uh a young girl who's no, I mean young girl, she <laughs> <It> was <actually laughs> years, like thirteen or something. Um, our age, right she's probably twenty two. Mm. Twenty three. Um yeah, they came in to teach us. And I remember such a hard time that, that we would give her and I felt bad at the time and now thinking if I was in that situation now would not only would I feel bad that that um my kids have made me cry, or something like that. But I would feel that weight of responsibility mm-hmm. now. I think I understand that sense of responsibility. Yeah, mm. yeah,
0: you both touched on it pretty well there. Yeah, <laughs> between the student and the adult experience, it's interesting because everyone in society has having experiences uh, as a student. So they all think they know a little bit about schools. So it's yeah it's interesting to see the differences between what you had as a student and then. Uh, what it becomes when you're an educator in a school.
2: I suppose to um, expand on that a little bit more as well, I guess I just wanted to get your thoughts on, I guess, the perceived expansion of the role of the teacher in the sense that there is a bit more of an expectation these days on pastoral care and, you know, being approachable um, and being able to talk to students about um, issues that aren't necessarily academic, so being, you know, if if a student is coming, like, is having a hard time or facing issues, um, w- where they are facing hardship, that mm. um, a teacher's is also expected to take on those, I suppose, sort of responsibilities as well. Yeah. Whereas that may not necessarily have been expected of the teacher twenty, thirty, forty years ago. Mm. So I suppose, um, do you feel like that's something that's come about? organically or do you think that that really is an inherent part of being an educator?
0: I think in a way it is an inherent part of being an educator because really uh, I like to say that absolutely no learning, zero learning will occur in a classroom if you don't have a rapport with the students. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that rapport is being open in that way. But in another way, the, the pastoral care side of things are uh, has come about as a result of this expanded role as the the educator and even of schools and taking care of lots of society's problems. Mm. How do we deal with things like uh, educating teens around the responsible use of drugs and alcohol in schools? How do we Mm. talk about sex education Mm. in schools? How do we talk about relationship education in schools? So in a way, it necessarily falls back on teachers to take up part of that role and act as... uh, I suppose mentors at times mm. in dealing with some
4: things. Do so you even have a, a designated role as, as a mentor in your school?
0: There are there are roles to do, and particularly with um, students with uh, learning difficulties. They have case managers in that way. Yeah. And then there's also in most schools now, in fact, in the vast majority of schools, there'd be a, a fair sized um, counselling team too. Obviously, experiences in non-government and government schools are differ. there. Being in a non-government school, we are reasonably well resourced in that sense. and the, um, It's a Catholic school too, so they do have put a big emphasis on pastoral care.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so in that way, yeah, schools do take a bigger role now
4: than just teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thinking maybe about sometimes, maybe jumping off from that about how we have this role as educators about being more than just teaching something that's academic. I mean, being a kind of a role model, it reminds me a little bit of maybe what we were like before teaching became a part of industrialised society when maybe some of these things came to families, it fell to families to be able to teach people these things and that now there's more and more and more of an expectation that teachers fill some of these roles. Yeah, well, maybe maybe a question to you, Maria, about
3: mm-hmm.
4: maybe exploring a little bit more that idea of why we should keep politics out of work why that idea mm-hmm. has come up in the first place and maybe particularly in education?
2: I suppose where I've been hearing it lately is, um, and it's, it's a world away from what David does, but um, mm. with all of the um, Hollywood sexual abuse um, scandals mm. in the entertainment industry, I've heard, I suppose, on social media, not so much in the mainstream, but in social media, um, people commenting that the people who are coming forward about this issue or who are speaking up about this issue Pretty much bringing politics into their work or using their their work their professional platform to speak about political issue and that Mm -hmm. that was an improper thing to do. And then um, I was just thinking about other instances where I've heard that more broadly. So, um, Mm -hmm. in the scope of education, for example, I remember when I was in high school, in particular, there was I forget the year, David. You might be able to enlighten me, but there was a particularly big teacher strike and they were renegotiating salaries so i think that was probably 2010 but yeah
0: 2010 i or so yeah, I, yeah
2: so. I i can't i don't know the exact date but i remember mm-hmm. at that particular time i remember hearing certain parents because it wasn't affecting our curriculum in any, in any sense but they were maybe at the start or at the end of the class the teachers would um say that they're striking at this time and it's because of xyz reason mm-hmm. and um even that alone some parents would find would be politicising
4: that they shouldn't even give their reasons they should just say that a
0: really topical example of that would be the same-sex marriage debate we had with the plebiscite I I, I find that would be
2: probably a big thing as well school I
0: work at has a really strict policy about not giving students your particular viewpoint on that we call ourselves a dialogue school and we encourage students to discuss that and there was even at the debating club this year that topic was debated
3: Mm -hmm. but
0: um, the school sees it as important that teachers don't uh put their views yeah. onto the issue, which i I understand that as acceptable, and you do you're very conscious to have a healthy debate about that mm. sort of thing, mm. but not yeah
4: impose your viewpoint yeah. on students in some ways. Do you find that students maybe try and draw out what your opinion is? I think of course <laughs> they do yeah. you know a lot of students are very intuitive now
0: i've seen some teachers. In my time that are really good at hiding their, yeah, yeah, yeah. their, <laughs> their, right their kind <laughs> of views Usually. or about certain things, but it's something I'm still learning to do mm. it's hard to do that when uh I don't know you come out of an environment where it's you no know, it's really open about certain viewpoints, but um yeah, I see that as important to be able to do as well, which is mm-hmm. don't want to be um. I suppose, imposing your view on other people yeah. on different issues. Yeah.
2: And I understand the concern because there is obviously that um power dynamic at play as well mm. in that you have that role of authority and there is that, I suppose, hierarchy in place. But that being said, I think, mm. like you said, kids aren't stupid. Like they mm. will pick up on the more subtle things even if you don't express it verbally. Um, mm. They will become aware <laughs> of it if it is something that, you know, yeah. You
0: do an inadvertent
4: raise of an eyebrow, or yeah, yeah exactly, sure. exactly. Yeah, people say that it maybe is too difficult. Then maybe it's almost like you're being a robot if you're trying to keep everything out and not not communicate anything. It's almost kind of unnatural. So yeah. I wonder if there is yeah some kind of middle ground in which hmm. maybe you don't reveal your opinion fully, but. Um, because if you're encouraging debate among students, you have to maybe play devil's advocate.
0: That's exactly what you yeah. end up doing. Yeah, okay. precisely. So, yeah, you obviously find yourself maybe saying things or, or asking things that you might not agree with. That's one thing that I did as a humanities teacher mm. this year. Um, just when there was time left at the end of classes, if we you know achieved what we wanted to, I'd you know, open up different issues for debate and ask questions because I think it's important that kids think mm. about the society they're living critically. They can't just take things at face value, how it's presented to you. And they need to learn not what to think but how to think to use a yeah. terrible cliche. No, but that's, that's,
2: <laughs> that's a fantastic thing to do because at least from my experience when I was in school, I think especially towards my later years of high school that it seemed as if the teachers dedicated their time in class solely to preparing us for this arbitrary exam rather than looking mm. at the world that we'll live in in a broader context after we leave school, for the most part it seemed solely focused on here's this exam that you'll be doing in 9, 10, 12 months' time. Mm -hmm. Here are these arbitrary rules that you'll need to follow to make sure you do quote-unquote well in the Mm -hmm. exam. And there was really no, I suppose, broader focus on who you will be as a person after you leave um, this institution. So I think that's a really good thing that you're doing and I think it'll help. I suppose, develop a broader understanding. And, and in that same vein, it will develop that critical thinking that's also beneficial for the exams <laughs> in that same context.
3: Yeah, so, yeah,
0: it's interesting that we say that, though, because even justifying in that sense, again, it's just um, the rationalisation of everything that we do has <laughs> to be, you know, things like NAPLAN, for example. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I've um, got a lot of teacher friends that, you know, they absolutely loathe NAPLAN, whereas I can see useful from it um, – if not on an individual level, you see really broad trends and patterns and things like mm. that. But it's interesting that we, you know, really have to work hard to um, rationalise everything that we do, every single bit. Yeah. And it can't, um, can't always, which is unfortunate, just be learning for learning's sake, yeah. you know. Why are we reading this book? Or maybe the book can
4: teach you something just from reading it. Maybe it's enjoyable to learn in that way. Mm. I think like that's something that students themselves pick up on as well because when I was doing a um, student placement, i heard people say, oh, why, why are we learning this? Well, we're never going to speak Italian because it was a language placement. <laughs> when are we going to use this? And then it's hard because you have to come up with a reason, not only a reason that you might think is valid, but one that you think is relatable and you might have to come up with more than one because one may not be good enough. Yeah. And there's so many different students as well. How do you cater to yeah. convincing everyone?
0: It's certainly a be tough. I find that as a languages teacher, yeah, a lot of students that- they don't relate to studying a language, you know, perhaps no one in their family speaks language or even if their grandparents do. We've got this funny monolingual mindset in Australia where mm. um, we're content with English as, I suppose, the predominant language in, in above or, or, or else. Mm. Mm. and above all else.
2: And it's quite interesting as well because even myself, I remember I did advanced maths in BCE and even though I didn't enjoy it, I just did it because... I thought it would be challenging, but as I progressed through the year, I progressively mm-hmm. enjoyed it less and less. And I remember the particular um, topic we were doing on vectors, so um, how curves, how to measure curves and um, certain, um, I suppose, lines don't quote me because I, as you <laughs> can tell, I did not understand <laughs> an understanding it's of been,
1: it. It's been a couple of um, years, right? <laughs> I
2: remember um, asking my teacher at the time, quite a sort of sassy attitude, <laughs> how is this relevant yeah. to like anything that's applicable yeah. in general life? And then I remember her just sort of looking at me in disbelief. And um, funnily enough, I saw her last year, and it was just after I, after I'd taken um, a law subject called evidence. And mm. in that topic, we were actually looking at blood spatter analysis, where they actually analyzed oh, how occurred. blood blood spatters and how looking at blood spatters, you can kind of get the traje- trajectory and what sort of um, blows were wow. struck to the struck to the person. Um, by using this this sort of maths. Mm. And so when I ran into this teacher again last year, I told her all about that. She's like, see, it was all relevant. (laughs) So um, I think adopting that sort of attitude that even though it may not be, I suppose, ostensibly useful Mm. in that moment or even, you know, in the long run, you just don't know where things are going to be relevant. And really at the end of the day, the more you learn, the more enriched you're going to be. That's very cliche as well. I I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I think learning for learning's sake really is a good thing to be, yeah, doing.
4: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe about if you have any kind of tips about, it maybe for prospective teachers, about how you might get through to students, how you might relate to students. Either if you're teaching something content-based, academic, or even let's say something comes up that prompts an issue or behavior how you try and get through them
0: with the word behavior that comes to mind one of my favorite things that i've tried to keep in mind this year is to do with how you're speaking to people and it's about message sent message received
3: Mm. and essentially
0: you have to keep in mind when speaking to students that what you say it's not what you say that matters it's how it's received so what is it going to be taken as at the other end? For example, two friends are sitting next to each other and you're saying, You two can't sit together.
3: Mm.
0: What's that coming across? At, mm. Yeah, exactly at the other end because the, those two students are getting, I'm not trusted. Or, yeah. you know, he doesn't trust us, blah, blah, blah. Whereas maybe something wiser to say would be, Look, I think you two might learn better if you're just sitting apart. You tend to chat a fair bit.
3: Mm. So, yeah.
0: It's like asking your kids sometimes, why did you do that? Sometimes <laughs> students don't know why they did things. Their, their <laughs> brains are growing and it can be a really sure. stupid question sure. to ask. Well, exactly. I don't know it's sure, just like so. <laughs>
4: trying to take things in their head and think, well, it's happened. We just have to deal with whatever it was. And,
3: yeah.
4: And things remind me. Um, I was just thinking at this time when I'm, someone used, like, yeah, something like a derogatory term to describe women in a class and they had no idea that. That, that was that was a thing I just thought that, that was a normal thing that you can say and so then it turned out that the kernel of that class like the most important thing that my teacher and the students took in that class was saying that that's not okay to say that you know? <laughs> and they just yeah but, but so why not you know
0: <laughs> those can be interesting lessons yeah absolutely you're teaching something about I don't know the present tense in Italian and not <laughs> discussing what what is in the, is not okay to say <laughs>
2: And it's It's interesting the approach that um both of you just raised right then, because um I suppose what we really need to be aware of, especially in um the context of education, is even you know when a student might come out and say mm-hmm. what seems to be quite a horrible term or something that really we wouldn't like to deem would be acceptable, mm-hmm. um, it's often because they just don't know mm-hmm. any better, and I suppose a knee jerk reaction can often tend to be, you know, A, we get emotional, then B, you know, you, you just straight up get aggressive yeah. towards them and say, you know, you're wrong, you know, essentially that you're a horrible person. <laughs> um, but David, I think you really touched on a really good point there that you have to, yeah, take the time to realize that, you know, it's often because they don't know any better and they probably haven't been, they've probably learned that particular behavior or that particular speech in a context where, you know, they haven't been informed of how, potentially damaging it is. So you mm-hmm. just have to take that time out and then, um, like you said, it's tomorrow's another day. <laughs> so um yeah, it's
4: yeah, especially in certain environments like that. It was in an all boys school, so then it might not have ever occurred to them if a lot of other guys mm-hmm. in the school are using a certain word. Yeah. Yeah. you just see everyone else using it, so you never question it. Mm-hmm. 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 Could okay. you tell us a bit more about your um your news idea? You've told us this before. Hundred percent. So we've got um like plenty of
0: schools, we have this idea of home room. It's kind of for administrative stuff, but it's also definitely got a pastoral edge to it in the morning and afternoon. We school so before you know classes begin, that is subject classes. And one thing that I uh, noted last year is a lot of kids don't know what's going on in the world. So something I want to introduce to my own pastoral class this year is just watching the news with the kids. That can be fraught with danger. It's definitely something you have to like. <laughs> <try. laughs> It's definitely something you have to look at every morning and think, Ah, oh, is this nice. gonna throw up any yeah. bad curlies? So um and inevitably those come out. But i I just think it would be a really positive thing so that kids are a little more conscious of what's going on around them and not just within their own um their own bubbles. You know, we've got a tendency as people to have echo chambers around us, you know. We surround ourselves with similar people, similar ideas and that's you know, reflected in our, our real worlds and our digital worlds too, so yeah. Challenging that and talking about things, I think that's a positive thing to do.
3: Yeah,
4: because even in the digital world, like with Facebook, for example, people might get their news from Facebook, but it depends on, on what they like and what's what's trending based on the algorithms of what. Mm. what they Yeah,
3: exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: So, and yeah, no, um, even more. if you try and challenge that, like I know I consciously like pages with which I'll absolutely vehemently <laughs> disagree, <laughs> but <laughs> Facebook's <laughs> algorithms know me too well, so. Um, so obviously they're going to give me. Um,
4: so they don't just give you more of that stuff to try. To exactly. So stuff.
0: instead of getting, let's say, um, uh, the Australian newspaper paper, I might get more from the Edge simply because it knows from you different interactions yeah, what yeah. I want. Yeah. yeah, you
2: click through to the Age a lot more. Mm. That's so interesting.
4: Kids probably don't really like new, <laughs> new newspapers. No, they're not no. as geeky as me. They definitely don't <laughs> like the New York Times. And uh, but the trending section would probably still come up. Well, it depends where they access Facebook. I mean, people use their phone so much now. As I right, I compared to, I, I'm still old school. I use Facebook on the computer. So I see a little trending section in the top right. And it's like, oh, I'll find out a little bit about North Korea or mm. well, whatever. I think kind of.
0: Facebook is changing its algorithm, though, to be more based around people and pages. So mm-hmm.
4: it's a lot
3: more
0: firm based. It's something like that, which is interesting
3: in itself. Yeah.
4: Was there, do you think, maybe, I'm not sure at what point, when you were in school, or maybe throughout, I mean, do you had a light bulb moment about why you wanted to pursue teaching? I'd say it definitely wasn't, I wouldn't have seen it
0: uh, or foreseen it when I was a student. I always loved learning and, you know, I was passionate about school in the sense that I liked learning and, and teaching a sense to other friends, but uh i didn't go to uni thinking doing my arts degree thinking oh yeah i'm going to become a teacher i didn't know yet i did a few bread subjects at uni so subjects beyond my own faculty where they were involved in education and there were things like tutoring in homework clubs mm-hmm. in my community too which there's some disadvantaged kids there so i really enjoyed that experience and thought it was impactful mm-hmm. uh, and then i did another bread subject where i actually got an experience doing a little bit of teaching in a school in undergrad too and i thought from that yeah i really have found something that i enjoy here i can see myself doing this as a career yeah it is really fulfilling like the the lows in teaching can be absolutely gut-wrenchingly <laughs> low and frustrating yeah but then the highs are just amazing just when you walk out of a lesson and think wow what happened there or <laughs> or a kid really just
4: clicks with an idea or you can see that they're passionate about what they're doing or yeah. That's fantastic to hear, especially considering you've just done you've just finished your first year, right? And people always say that the first year's the most gut wrenching. <laughs> oh hopefully so. <laughs> you don't get your gut wrenched as hope much. So. I really do.
2: Do. <laughs> well the fact that um, also you've had such positive things to say overall, especially after your first year, I think is a testament to both how good a fit teaching is for you and also, I suppose, your virtue as a teacher as well. So I mm. think Yeah. yeah it good. really shows. <laughs>
0: Thanks for having me on,
1: guys. No, No,
3: thanks.
1: Thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us there for our chat with David. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. What experiences do you have from your schooling days? Maybe they're far in the rearview mirror or maybe they're not too long ago at all. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions. You can send them through on our website, thehearthpodcast.com, email us at thehearthpodcast at gmail.com, or get in touch on Facebook. We're looking forward to featuring these on our final episode. You can also find the show notes for this episode on our website where we have some bonus content including extra tips from David for teachers in training, so be sure to check that out. Remember to subscribe for our upcoming episodes. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.
2: The Hearth Podcast is...
1: Daniel Mostovac and...
2: Maria Cananzi. And our music is provided by the wonderful Claire Fogarty.
1: Our photography is done by the great Kristen Calandra.
2: And you can find us at thehearthpodcast.com.